Welcome to the Coast to Coast Podcast. We are back here with episode 10. I am your host, Kyle Creasy, and I'm here with my co-host, Tommy Smith. And we're back here. Uh, as you guys know, if you listened earlier in the week, um, we have a special episode for you today with our Q&A slash mailbag episode, whatever you want to call it. And um, we're really excited to get to those questions that you guys all sent in. We really took our time for the past week, week and a half to really dive into some of these questions and you know, hopefully give you guys some answers to satisfy uh, the whole reason that you even sent in the question. So, but before we get to that, we wanted to talk a little bit about the two playoff series so far. And um, we're recording this freshly after game two of the Celtics heat game um, of Celtics heat. So yeah, a little late night episode record um, recording, but yes, yeah, so, um, we're also going to talk about how the all rookie teams were announced last night. And then we also want to mention the draft lottery results and give you guys a little bit of a lottery mock draft to this point, just early on, about two months ahead. So, yeah, uh, or like a month ahead, not two. But um, first thing that we want to dive into is the all-rookie teams. Um, in case you didn't see, yesterday the all-rookie teams came out. There's two teams, first and a second. And the all-rookie first team was Cade Cunningham, Jalen Green, Franz Wagner, Scotty Barnes, and Evan Mobley. And then the all-rookie second team was Bones Highland, Io DeSumo, Josh Giddy, Chris Duarte, and Herb Jones. Now, Tommy, I'm just going to ask you first, what do you think about these? I, I really liked them. Um, I saw something funny. Giddy, Giddy uh, commented on it. Uh, but... I think it was interesting how we had three people selected unanimously, but deservingly so. They all had great seasons. Um, I was kind of surprised to see um, Herb Jones because he picked it up towards, like, really picked it up towards the end of the season. I mean, I th yeah, I, th I think that's fair. He uh, he definitely was a definitely was a lock for me, but I, I mean, that's that's nothing crazy because. He was a good defender all year, but he definitely increased his role as the year went on. Now, what you said about Josh Giddy, um, I'm actually completely on board with him being upset about being second team. And my reasoning is, you know, for me, I watch a lot of games as it is. I'm a league pass guy, um, but I do watch the Thunder a lot because I'm a big SGA fan. And Josh Giddy was nothing short of awesome this year. And he actually was West because Cade, Scotty, and Mobley were all in the Eastern Conference. So Giddy was the Western Conference Rookie of the Year for four months. Jalen Green won it one month, and the one month he won it was when Josh Giddy was hurt. And honestly, right as Josh Giddy got hurt, that's when he was really exploding too. Like people were really starting to take notice of the guy. So I didn't agree with it, but I mean – it's cool. It's an all-rookie team. You know, it's nothing crazy. Um, I do think – I'm glad that these 10 got recognition. I think the all-10 were very deserving. There were a few others that could – if they would have been on here, I wouldn't have been upset. But no complaints about these 10 being on the two teams. You? Nah, not, no complaints at all. Everybody deserved it. Deserving. Yeah, I agree. I was glad to see Bones on there, and then I was glad to see Duarte on there as well. I thought Duarte – his start to the year, um, even though he slowed down a little bit, I just felt like his start and his consistency 
from that point. It wasn't as good as the start, but still being a solid player whenever he was playing, felt like it was more than deserved. So just wanted to touch on those real quick. Now, we are going, obviously, we're going to react to both games one and two of this Celtics Heat series. So tonight, um, Celtics tied up. We're at 1-1. Two blow, or not two blowouts, but Heat were in control for the whole second half of the first game. And then the Celtics come out and just dominate this game from about halfway through the first quarter going on. Um, you know, tonight has me really concerned for the Heat going forward. You? Yeah, it was just like all the things that we talked about before um, while we were so scared about this matchup for the Miami Heat. The Boston Celtics are just a really good team, and they came out and showed it tonight. Yeah, I, th I think that it was pretty clear the impact that Marcus Smart and Al Horford had on this game tonight and how much they were missed in game one. Yeah, Marcus Smart got interviewed after, and he, like, he really wanted to play a game. Like, he wished he could have played game one. Like, he wanted to be out there. Yeah, I mean, it was it was shocking that he wasn't playing in game one because Udoka the day before seemed pretty confident that he was going to play. So I guess it was just like a last-minute thing. And then Horford, uh, I think that they had somewhat of a breakout with COVID within the organization. And so it's kind of unlucky, but obviously he was able to test negative enough times to be able to play tonight. So that was big time for Boston. Um, you know, just a few, just some things to touch on. Um, you know, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum needed to be better from game one, and they were tonight. Um, Jalen Brown came out hot, scoring the ball, getting to his spots, didn't, didn't really rush anything, didn't take anything stupid, um, and hit what he needed to hit. And Jason Tatum, just an elite, prolific scorer. But not only that, I, I've, I've tried to reiterate it a few times. This dude's evolution as a playmaker is unreal. Like two years ago, if you blitzed Jason Tatum, he would just have to give it up and you may not get anything. You can't blitz this Jason Tatum anymore when this team is at full strength because he's he's so elite at finding guys cutting or finding the weak spot on the rotations and hitting that big skip. It's just unreal evolution as a playmaker. Um, your thoughts on those two tonight? They were awesome. And Again, Jason had 20 in the uh, the first half, so he's really impressive. And I, I just wanted to add in, it, it's not related, but you really see how much the Heat are missing Kyle Lowry and what he does at this point. I I would agree. Uh, that, that championship pedigree point guard that's been there and, you know, like they, they are – well, after tonight, they're 7-1. and one in the playoffs without him, but the context matters. I mean, they were playing, no offense to your team, but an inferior Hawks uh, playing a 76ers team that didn't have Joel Embiid or win or those games that they won uh, later in the series, just an Embiid not even close to full strength. And then that game one that they won was a game without Marcus Smart and Al Horford. So the context matters. I mean, Gabe Vincent has been a pretty good player, but – Obviously, like you said, Lowry would be really nice to have. I, I'll personally be shocked if he plays in this series. You? Yeah, same. Uh, and it's sad because he's getting older. Yeah, before before game two today and even yesterday, they just said he's not doing much at all in terms of yeah. on the floor. 
So I'll be shocked. Um, P.J. Tucker actually didn't come back in the game tonight, and I'm a little concerned because he was hurt um, in game one. I really didn't know if he'd come back then, and then I really didn't catch what happened tonight. I mean, I was obviously watching the whole game, but I didn't realize, and then they said he was out, and he wasn't coming back in. And, yeah, that's a big issue if he's gone. Yep. And there's, there were points that – points I was watching the game today – and I, I mean, it was it was a complete blowout, but he just looked like he was gassed. So I could tell something wasn't right. Yeah. And then next, you know, I just want to talk about Bam. Um, very, very disappointing. Um, yeah. Honestly, awesome. honestly, nothing great in the playoffs overall, but an atrocious first two games. I mean, he he was great defensively in game one, but I was concerned because if you guys listen to our preview of this series a big concern of mine was I said, obviously Bam is the best center left in this playoffs, but he has to tell himself that and he has to play like it. He's not done that at all in these first two games. And Jimmy can drop 40 like he did in game one, but like that's a lot to ask of a player every single night. And, you know, it it would help a little bit if Bam could just step up. Yeah. And he, he can't like, he was, he was, I literally, I, like like we were talking, like I thought he was going to tell himself that he was the best center left in this, but clearly he isn't, you know, built like, I mean, likely so he wasn't, I don't know, he wasn't built like we're set, bringing him up to be built. He's not telling himself that. So it's, I'm just really disappointed in, in the way he played because he was my pick to win the, the Larry Bird Award. Yeah, Larry, yeah, Larry Bird. Yeah. <laughs> Still, still new. No worries. Um, yeah. But, yeah, man, I mean, we'll see if he steps up. I I don't see it. I mean, that that was a big part of my Celtics and six pick. And maybe he does, maybe he proves me wrong, but that was a big concern of mine. So, we'll see. Um, you know, obviously with no smart and Horford in game one, um, Jimmy still played great tonight. Don't get me wrong. But, but Jimmy and Hero were both able to really pick on Pritchard and – Tice in game one and Tice didn't play at all whenever it mattered tonight all he played was garbage time at the end and Pritchard played but I mean they didn't they weren't able to attack him as much with him being like the only weak link on the floor and uh, Hero struggled tonight because of it um, you know when when it actually mattered at all I think he was like at seven points at like three of seven three of eight shooting and he just couldn't hardly get anything and that was obviously, again, a concern of mine. This is a – he was getting hunted on the other end as well because of the more offensive options. You couldn't hide him anymore. So Peyton Pritchard actually for a certain point really just played hero like he was a cone. And, um, you know, one, a big issue in game one as well was at no point in this playoffs where Pritchard and Tice have both been in the lineup and Smart and Horford have been out, there's no lineup of that that's in the plus. So – not having to throw Tyson there for 20 minutes and Pritchard is good for them, but he can't be playing 30 minutes. So they didn't have to do either of those things tonight. And uh, Tyler Hero struggled because of it. Jimmy's not going to struggle. He's been playing really well, but obviously not able to go get that 40 bomb like he did because he's just not able to consistently hunt a Tyson or Hero. Um, but Pritchard tonight was awesome offensively. I mean, he, he gave them great minutes. I agree. He, yeah, just watching him, he was hitting, 
hitting it when it needed to be hit. And he was, yeah. Yeah, I, it's just like, it's one of those things where he's great to come in and give you 12 to 15 minutes in a playoff game. But that game one where he's playing 30 minutes, it's just it's way too much to ask. So now that they got their guys back, obviously Derek White was out tonight, but Marcus Smart is a lot bigger of a piece than Derek White. So, yeah, What's I mean, wrong with that Derek White? He, uh, he, his child is being born. Gotcha. Yeah, so he uh, – I don't know. I'm, I, I guess he'll be back for game three. But, um, yeah, he, his child was being born, so he wanted to be there with his, with his wife. Gotcha. So, Makes sense. Yeah, totally understandable. Um, yeah, I, th- I think it's could be dangerous territory for the Heat. Um, you know, I guess the one thing to be optimistic is that game threes really show the, in my opinion, that's where the most adjustments come into play in an entire series. And you do have one of the best guys in the league at the helm in Spo. So we'll see. But I think it's going to be really, really tough to even get one of those in the garden. Oh, yeah. Yep. Tough place to play in. About couldn't say it's hardest. So, we'll we'll see. Big, big, big game for Miami Saturday. Cannot afford to go down 2-1 with game four in the garden with the way things look tonight. So, yeah. That's all we got on that series. Unless you got anything else. Any last thoughts on that one? No. Nah, nothing. Nothing. That was, it was embarrassing for the heat. Yeah. Um, so, we'll, we'll see how they respond. Um, going on to the other series out in the Western Conference, Mavs versus Warriors. Now, the very first thing that I want to say is that even in the blowout, I don't want to overreact too much. First off, I never want to overreact too much in a game one. But especially because in the Steve Kerr era, the Warriors are 21-2 and in game ones. Goodness gracious. Yeah, just uh, insane. And, you know, just to kind of stay on the optimistic side, if you're a Mavs fan or if you're pro Mavs here, uh, that was the worst Luka playoff game of his entire career. And someone may go look at, like, I think it was game four or five in the bubble, but Luka got hurt in that game. So that was different. Um, And, you know, part of that was because Andrew Wiggins was awesome on both ends. And he kind of, like, wore out Luka because of it. And – um. You know, part of that was that, to credit Steve Kerr, they switched into all kinds of different defenses. It wasn't even – the first quarter wasn't even over yet, and they'd already ran a box and one, a 3-2 zone. They would soft trap and pre-switch on the backside. Or if it was Steph and Poole, they were hedging hard and recovering, and they were they were refusing to switch Steph or Poole onto Luka Doncic. Um, what did you think about all those different things? Was there anything in particular that you liked? Yeah, I, like they came out and they played so many different defenses. That's what I was – I had that note written down myself is they, they were in the box of one, one minute, they were in the zone. They did everything they needed to to contain Luka and make him – or have him struggle. Yeah, so where I'm getting with this is that the whole the whole hedging – the zone was interesting – it was weird, funky. That's why I don't think they granted a whole lot. The box and one was – they got out of it because it was funky as well. It wasn't, like, bad or anything. Neither one was bad. I think it was just to keep switching looks on them, and that was smart, especially in a game one like that. But the whole the whole hedging with Steph and Poole, I just don't think that's going to fly. 
And I, I say that because, you know, in game one, Dallas had all the good looks in the world. I mean, they took 48 threes and 44 were listed as wide open or open. And it just wasn't their night. I mean, that's how it is sometimes. Game seven fatigue is a real thing coming off of it. And they only made 11 threes. Uh, you know, I think that 44 might be skewed, but I still think somewhere in the range of 35 to 36 of those were great looks from three. Um, you know, and they're, they're going to hit those as the series progresses. So I don't think it's going to fly, but it won them a game. So not going to hate on it or anything. Did you, you have any specific thoughts about that? Because – I just thought there was way too many good looks for that to work in an entire series. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. And, um, it, it looks good on stat sheet, but Curry was really struggling out there. If you were watching the game. Yeah. Um, I'm going to get to Curry in a minute. Um, Luca specifically on the defense of on the defensive end was hunted, but it was like in an unconventional way. And so, the way that Phoenix hunted Luca was just trying to get the simple switch and go one on one. Whereas Golden State did a great job and they game plan for it. So early on in the Dallas Phoenix series, they were obviously getting that switch, but Jason Kidd changed how they were going to guard it. And so they would come up high on the screen with both guys or they would blitz it. And, um, you know, if they blitzed it, they were just recovering. They just were not allowing Luca to switch. Well, that was tough with what Golden State was doing because Golden State wasn't just trying to play this one-on-one game. What they would do was they let Wiggins kind of initiate offense in that Draymond role instead of actually Draymond doing it. And so that forced Luca to get put into all different kinds of actions and, you know, different dribble handoffs or different pitch and screens. It was just – it was tough for him to guard all those actions. And Wiggins did a great job of stepping up and hitting shots. And Otto Porter Jr. did kind of the same thing while Luca was on him a few possessions. So it'll be interesting to see how Kidd maybe goes away from that or if he stays with it and just hopes that Andrew Wiggins and Otto Porter aren't capitalizing. I don't know. I'm, I'm not the head coach of the Dallas Mavericks. He is. I, he He's pretty good at what he does. So we'll see how he decides to go about that. Um, and then – you know, they, since they refuse to to just switch him in the regular way, if they would come up high on the screen, because they Steph specifically, they would not switch Luca onto him. So Steph was doing a great job of hitting like the short roller as soon as he saw the blitz, and that would Jordan Poole was great off this. They would off that little short roll. They're having Dallas having to scramble at that point. Well, it would get pitched out to Poole, and Poole was doing an incredible job of attacking gaps or or attacking a flyby closeout off of it. And he created multiple looks, whether it was for himself at the rim, himself in the mid-range, uh, drop off to a guy for a layup, a kick out for a three, or he would hit somebody that would be a one more pass, whether it was another pass to the corner for three, a pass one up or something. Or he had a few times where he hit like Draymond – and then Draymond would hit like a cutter going to the rim. So Poole was great off that. And it was a that's something that they definitely talked about and planned on beforehand, knowing that Dallas is going to refuse to switch Luka. So props to Golden State for that. Um, uh, Golden State also was able to get probably like three or four swipe strips on Luka drives. And, you know, that's not something I would bank on going forward, but props to them for doing it in game one. 
Um, Luca's pretty good at manipulating and drawing contact, so he just wasn't able to. And then the last thing for me on the defensive side of things for the Warriors is they made life really hard on Jalen Brunson in the one-on-one. Um, what did you think about how they guarded Brunson? It was tough. Yeah, they were guarding him tough and really Dinwiddie too, but and he was just like mother. And he was taking bad shots too. Yeah, I, I think what was tough for Brunson was, you know, he's so good with his footwork and getting to the rim and pivoting, and he's good in the mid-range as well. Uh you know, off the dribble threes are not really a strong suit of his, and the Warriors were just playing really far back on him and kind of like begging him to take those. And, you know, he still got his at certain points, just attacking that guy being that low, but it was just hard for him to really get going in the half court whenever that's his game is not to shoot some off the dribble three or some size up three. So, and he knows that too. He wasn't being dumb about it and taking those shots. He took a few, you know, deservedly, but. Uh, just made life tough for him to go one-on-one with a guy like Draymond, for instance, sitting back at the free throw line. It was it was tough for him. Um, and then on the other side of the ball, you know, like you said, Steph was not like anything great. And, you know, you got to give credit to Dallas for that, that Reggie Bullock did a great job on Steph. He started out on him. Um, I thought Dorian Finney-Smith – did a did good job whenever he was switched on to him. There was one time where he kind of got on his back and Steph had like this N1 floater from the like the elbow. But, I mean, overall, I thought Dorian Finney-Smith did a good job. Mo- the majority of Steph's points kind of came like on advantage basketball or in transition. So they did a really good job of him uh, in the half court. The one thing that I'll be interested in seeing if Dallas changes was, uh, if you remember from our series preview, I said that I thought Brunson was going to start out on Draymond, and he did. And I thought that that would be able to help them in the sense that when Draymond and Steph try to run these different actions of the dribble handoffs and stuff or just the quick pitches back and forth leading into drives, I thought that Brunson was going to be able to switch off of that. But Kidd was blitzing Steph off of it even if it was Brunson there. So I wasn't a big fan of that. It led to some stuff for Draymond to create, being the good creator that he is for others. So I'll be interested in seeing if game two, if Brunson is still on him, if they just switch that now. I think it would I think it would do them good. What about you? Yeah. Yeah. But I don't know. The Warriors are so damn good. It I mean, and it was just everybody. So I don't know. If any, I don't know. They're their offense is just very dynamic in the way they run it. It's so free-flowing, and you got multiple guys that all know how to play with each other as well as being versatile. They don't play like robotic. They they have multiple reads off screens, and they make the right read, and they, they do a great job of attacking gaps. Certain guys do, and guys know where to be out on the perimeter. It's just it's a great offense. So, And then lastly, I just wanted to shout out Kavon Looney. I mean, he, he did everything. He did everything he was supposed to do in game one, and if not more – just being active on the glass, being a decent, uh, being a decent rim protector, and yeah, you know, finishing around the rim. He was just, he was good overall. I don't think you could ask for much more if you're a Golden State. Great game from him. Yes, and Ke- Kevon Looney just used to make me so mad. He was playing like he was not supposed to, supposed to be playing. Everybody's <laughs> like, "Oh, the next Durant." I was like, "No, this man yeah, needs to the, gain some weight." The 
the stuff from uh, Ball's life whenever he was in high school, the next Kevin Durant or Kalani. <laughs> but yeah, um, obviously there's a little concern, but I think that there's plenty to be optimistic about if you're Dallas. Obviously, Golden State has plenty to be optimistic about because a lot worked for them, and they did a lot of things that I really liked on both sides of the ball. But there's some adjustments adjustments to be made for Dallas, and offensively, they got a lot that they wanted. You just got to convert. So we'll see how game two goes tomorrow night. It'll be interesting. Um, but, yeah, that's enough with the series. And lastly, before we get into the Q&A, we just want to talk about the lottery. So – Tuesday night, obviously, we got our lottery results. And, you know, when it started out, everything was kind of going how it was supposed to. And then I think that you would agree with me. Tell me if you have a different choice. But I think the most shocking thing to me was that Sacramento made the jump into the top four. Yeah, they uh, they just spoiled my entire pick. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, for, yeah, definitely. Yeah, and – um. You know, you could tell the disappointment from Portland uh, just from Dame alone, but I can only imagine being a Portland fan or someone in the Portland Trailblazers organization when they realized that they fell lower than they were supposed to be getting that seventh pick because Sacramento jumped up. So that had to be a tough blow for them. But um, the next question I want to ask you, because I do feel like – I don't want to say it's like an awkward spot, but that's the best thing I could come up with to describe it – with Sacramento jumping up, but not necessarily being in that top three where the consensus top three are, what do you think the odds are that they look to trade this pick? Uh, so, I don't know. Because you might have a guy, like, you might have a, a – you could have, like, four guys still there, and they're really good. So, I don't know if you can, you can trade it. So the reason that I ask that is you've obviously got your three up top and they're going to go one, two, and three. Mm -hmm. And the next three that it looks like people are going to look at, well, the next obvious prospect is Jaden Ivey. But then your next two that it looks like in mock drafts right now and just people talking about them are Shaden Sharp and Keegan Murray. And – there comes a question is, are they that high on Keegan Murray? Maybe they are, maybe they aren't. I'm not saying they should be one way or the other. I'm just saying it depends on how they feel. And then the issue with taking a Jaden Ivey or a Shaden Sharp, I'm not – okay, there's not really like an issue with it. I'm just saying it would look really weird if Sacramento just traded Tyrese Halliburton because of a guard issue and to clear up room for De'Aaron Fox and honestly Mitchell as well and then to go take another guard in the draft right after. Yeah. So that's why I asked if you think that there's a high likelihood they trade it or not. Yeah. I get I get what you're saying, though. Um, so I, I just think that's something to watch. I'm not saying they're going to. I'm not saying they're not going to. I just think it is something to watch because of the logic there. Yeah. So um, – Obviously, we found out later after that, though, that the Orlando Magic received the first pick. And so my first question to you would be, obviously, we have our top three prospects. Is there a wrong decision between the top three? Uh, I just – I think 
that the Magic don't need to pick Chet Holmgren in, but really, yeah, okay, yeah, but um, any reason why? I just don't. I mean, I, I guess I guess, but I think the other two just fit way better than okay. So you're, home. you're yeah, I'm going, fit. yeah, I'm going fit. So, but like you are high on Chet. Yeah, I'm high on Chet. Yeah, definitely. Okay, but that's the guy you want to just like that's completely why, build around. Yeah, that's why I was really confused. No, 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 no. I was just yeah. Okay. If I'm the that, magic, I I I understand that. Then, mm-hmm. um, I don't really. I don't really think that there's a wrong decision here because I do think all three have a lot of potential, but uh, I agree. I think they will probably lean more towards the Jabari or Paolo route opposed to Chet. And I mm. think for me, that's just because, you know, they got Wendell Carter Jr. in that trade for Vucevic and he's been really, really good for them. And although I think Chet maybe could play the four, I think his optimal position is probably the five. And, you know, you draft a Jabari or a Palo, and with this team you've got, you know, Cole Anthony, Jalen Suggs, Franz Wagner, plug in one of those two, and Wendell Carter Jr. I think that's a really good five going forward. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So. Can't go – can't really – I mean, honestly, really can't go wrong. So, leading into our lottery mock draft, who do you have the magic taking number one overall? I'm taking Jabari. I do as well. Mm-hmm. Any specific yeah. reason for him over Paolo? Uh, no, no. I just think he's just a little bit better in my eyes. I, I feel that. Um, I, I think jo- I think Jabari is just. There's a lot. There's a lot more that you desire on the defensive end than there is with Paolo, and that's probably more of a need. And the shot creation is definitely going to be there, and he's definitely going to be a good catch and shoot shooter as well. Um, but, but yeah, the, the defensive versatility and the defensive instincts already from him, I think, translate immediately. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, yeah. Um, at number two, I have Chet Holmgren going to the Thunder. Yep, that's what, that's what I have. He just uh, fits so, like, that's, that's it's beautiful. Obviously, yeah, the, the big man is exactly what the Thunder need. Um, you know, you plug Chet right in there with, like, SGA – uh, Josh Giddy, Lou Dort, Darius Bailey. They also have Trey Mann there, Jeremiah Robinson Earl, Poku, Theo Maldon. Yeah. Like, that's an elite young core right there. And especially by ch- plugging any of these three in, but especially Chet. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. my, my thing with Chet, that's my number one prospect in this draft. I, I really don't. I don't think that there's a wrong decision to pick any of the three because I think all three are going to be great, but Chet is my number one overall prospect. And I just think it's like, to me, Chet has probably the highest floor and I think he easily has the highest ceiling. And I I just, I don't like this Porzingis comparison because Chet's not like, Chet's not like full sprinting and landing on one leg and, jumping and all this like there I just I don't it like does that make sense to you like in terms of yeah. concerns yeah for yeah it but does. but disregarding injury concerns I mean you're talking about a guy that as soon as he steps into the league is going to be elite on the defensive end he's going to be one of the best shot blockers in the entire NBA as soon as he's as soon as he's on an NBA roster he already he already has the ability 
to be able to switch out on the perimeter. I'm not saying guard one through five. I'm just saying switch out on the perimeter. He moves well enough on his feet. Um, you know, he doesn't have to be necessarily the most quick laterally because he is so long. I mean, the guy's like a legit seven one seven two with seven five wingspan. So to be able to move on your feet at all and have the length and honestly athleticism for his size that he has is great to be able to switch out on the perimeter. And then offensively, I mean, you're talking about a guy that is so skilled. He can handle the ball. He can push it in transition. He already has a nice jump shot. He shot like 40% from three this year. And that's, that's not some fluke. The dude's been able to shoot it for years now. That's, that's why they've been evaluating him as such this freak prospect for so, for so long. So for him to be able to just do all those things and have all those qualities, I, I'm super excited to see Chet, and I really hope I see him in a Thunder uniform. Yeah. And, and I'm just – if that happens, I'm going to be so excited. Yeah. I, I think you can almost argue that the Thunder rebuild, obviously not in the, in this year, but is accelerated yeah. to an extent if Chet's on this team. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, at three, I think it's pretty obvious, Palo, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Obviously, obviously it's uh it's whoever is left of the three, but in our mock draft here, we can both probably agree it's Palo. Palo. So I you know, nothing wrong. I think Houston is gonna love any of the three they get. Yeah. Yeah, Um, yeah, Yeah. Now I saw one thing where people were saying like who would be the one team to maybe not take one of those three? And my answer is nobody. Yeah, I think I think it's so clear that those three are the top three. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I just I really think there's zero chance that that's not the top three in some order. Yeah. So um, at, number, at number four, I actually have the Kings taking Keegan Murray. Yeah, if the Kings do keep like stay there, you've got me. You got my brain. You got my brain twisted now. But yeah, Keegan <laughs> Murray is who they would. Uh, he'd yeah. So that's you. That's who you had as well for. Yeah, I just uh, you made me you made me switch it. Uh, who who did you have? Just, just I, I, sw- <laughs> I switched it to a trade. Um, the uh, Pacers Pacers flip it or trying to trade up. Oh okay. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. So I just didn't want to. I didn't want to assume trades yet or anything, just because you never know. But I mean, I totally get that. No, no. This was just after you. Yeah. After you talk, oh, okay. Yeah. You, you, made, you you made me think earlier. <laughs> but my my thing with Keegan Murray is like my reasoning I gave earlier as to why I don't think that the Kings would take a guard. I think that they would like a Keegan Murray, a guy with good size that translates on both ends. I think he fits well around a Sabonis at a four spot. I just think it's a solid pick for them if they don't trade it. Yeah, I think, I think it's a pretty safe pick. I'll put it that way. Yeah, safe. Um, at five, who do you have the Pistons taking? I think they're going to take Sharp. Okay. So, let me guess. You have the Pacers taking Ivy. Yeah. Okay, I have it flipped. I have okay. The, I have the Pistons taking Ivy and the Pacers taking Sharp. Um, gotcha. I, I just think that Ivy is a perfect ideal fit with Cade Cunningham. Um, you kind of yeah. balance out – you kind of balance out like the the I'm trying to think how to word it because I love Kate Cunningham's game like this more poised 
point guard that's elite scoring and facilitating. And then you balance it out with like this just really athletic and quick two guard that's a combo guard and can play off of Cade and has a has a good jump shot and just this next level explosiveness. It's just like a I just think it fits really well to have like those two different play styles alongside each other when both can be like a playmaker and shoot and attack the basket. Yeah, I got you. And at six, I have Sharp. Um, some people may think it's too high, but I think that since the Pacers didn't get that top three pick, I think they may look towards kind of staying in the rebuild and trying to stay up high in the lottery again. And so I think that they could take Sharp. I mean, it is a six-six athletic, long, two-guard that is just a lot of potential in terms of scoring the basketball. And um, scouts saw him work out at Kentucky. He would have been – he was the consensus number one pick for next year, but he reclassed, went to Kentucky, ended up not playing. Scouts still rave about the guy. Uh, I think that that could be a good fit around Tyrese Halliburton and Duarte. Yeah, for sure. So – yeah, um, at seven, I had the Blazers selecting Jalen Duran. Yep. I was going back and forth between him and AJ, but now I, I ultimately went with him. Yeah, I, I think this pick could definitely be on the move. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, if, if Portland has any noise at all with with getting some guys to build a legit team around Dame, I think this pick is easily in play. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, I have Duran because, you know, assuming that it's not traded, Nurkic is going to be a free agent this offseason. And, you know, there definitely needs to be more of a defensive focus around Damian Lillard opposed to the offensive focus that didn't work too well um, in prior years. And I think Duran is just this freak of nature athletic center that should translate defensively immediately. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yes, sir. Um, who do you have the Pelicans selecting at eight? I went with AJ. I have AJ Griffin as well. Yeah. Um, I just – you just can never have enough 3 and D wings. Mm-hmm. At this point, that's just what the Pelicans should be looking for. You know, you've got your – you've got Brandon Ingram. You've got hopefully Zion back. Um, you know, you've got – you found Alvarado this year. Uh, you have Herb Jones. You got Trey Murphy in the draft last year. Valanciunas proved to be a solid piece. You got C.J. McCollum at the deadline. Like, you really – all you need going forward is 3 and D. Mm-hmm. And I think yep. Griffin fits that really well. Yes, sir. Um, at nine, I have the Spurs taking Benedict uh, Matherin. Okay, I had, him, I had him doing a little bit of something uncharacteristic, which, I mean, the Spurs usually do. But I had him going to get uh, Jeremy Shogun. Oh, the one from Baylor? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. He, I, just, he just spit, I mean, defense, he, versatile. He fits in first first. Yeah, I'll, I'll get to him eventually. I think he's probably one of the biggest risers in this draft. Mm-hmm. Yes, um, sir. So, I just have Matherin because I think he brings a scoring punch that a lot of teams would like. And – you know, I, th- I think the Spurs, I think there's that's a solid fit there just because you have a team that already has their locked-in pieces with DeJounte Murray, Devin Vassell, Keldon Johnson, and Jakob Pertl. Josh Primo's looked really good. But, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think that it would benefit them well to look for that guy that can go create his own shot, and Matherin is definitely that guy. 
Yeah. I feel um, you. Who do you have the Wizards selecting at 10th? I have them taking uh, Johnny Davis from Wisconsin. Okay. See, I, I, th- I almost went there, but I ended up going with Ochai. I never know how to say his last name, but the dude from Kansas, that was an, mm-hmm. old, that was an older player. Um, Abaji. Yes. Just really, really solid. Um, can put the ball in the bucket. Uh, I know the Wizards are definitely looking for a point guard here, but I feel like at this point, to me, Ochai is just – it's hard to pass up on him there if he is there. Just because I think, you know, with the uncertainty of Bradley Beal and even Porzingis there, you really just have to look towards who the better players are in the draft. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you, you just – if you think that you might be in a position to be in a rebuilding or tanking team, you can't sit there and think about fit. Think about fit. You just got to take the best player available. Mm-hmm. Um, at 11, I have the Knicks selecting Ty Ty Washington. Okay. So I, I think I figured out my favorite, like, favorite kind of basketball player is, and it's this, it's this, it's Australian basketball player. So I went with Dyson Daniels. I just love the way. Okay, yeah. I I definitely could see that. Um, I I know New York. I know the Knicks are going to be looking for a point guard, as well as the Wizards. Uh, I just the Wizards. I think I trust Tommy Shepard a little more than I do the Knicks front office. I think the Knicks are the type of team that would just force themselves into picking. I'm not saying Ty Ty Washington can't be good. I'm just – I think that they would force themselves into picking a point guard if they really don't even need to. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I, that's just why I think he goes there. It's not really anything crazy. Um, yeah. Who do you have the Thunder selecting at 12? I had uh, Benedict following all the way to go. Okay. At, I have the Thunder kind of taking a swing here. And, mm-hmm. and the reason that I say that is obviously they're getting their home run pick at second, you know, no matter who that is in the top three. But their core is just also very deep at this point after they get that pick. I feel like they can afford to take a swing. So I have them drafting Usman Jang. Um, okay. And he's overseas. And – you know, I don't – I can't – I'm not going to act like I know a ton about the guy, but I do try to read and keep up with some stuff that Jonathan Gavoni and Mike Schmitz talk about. And they do say that, like, if there is a guy that could be a potential home run from overseas, this guy has – this guy definitely has a lot of potential. So, I know Sam Presti has an extreme eye for talent, and, you know, he definitely has eyes on all these guys, not just in the United States. So, it, I do think that they might take a swing there. Yeah, absolutely. At 13, this is where I have Jeremy Sokon going to the Hornets. Okay. I like that. I like that. I had uh, Mark Williams going a little bit early. Okay, and I could see that for the simple fact of uh, the Hornets really being in need of a center. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I just went with SoCon because, again, I'm I'm one of those firm believers that you can never have enough big athletic wings. SoCon, like I said, is probably one of the biggest risers in this draft. And, um, you know, with him still, yeah. him still being fairly young and a lot of potential in terms of being a real deal, 6'8", 6'9", 
a long athletic two-way forward that can maybe give you a small ball five option maybe one day, stretches the floor, smart basketball player, showed the level to defend multiple positions. I just think that's hard to pass up on if he's available there. Yeah, I feel you. Um, and then at 14, who do you have the Cavs taking? Mar- I can't say his last name really, but Mark Brown. Brown. Hold on, which one? Or not Mark. What is what is his name? Uh, Talking about Brown? Malachi. Malachi oh. Brown. I, I don't know. I, I was thinking about Mark, but I meant Malachi because I just had said Mark. Okay. Um, I've got the Cavs selecting Dyson Daniels. And I went back with I went back and forth with either him or Johnny Davis here, and mm-hmm. I ultimately picked Dyson Daniels because I think that he has he's still really young, and he ha- he definitely has a lot of potential to be a good scorer. You know, I I think that there's something to be said about being in the G League. He played on the G League night team just because you make the immediate transition from high school to pro style basketball, and you know he still showed a lot of flashes from what I've seen of just like being a really good defender and also making a lot of good plays. I mean, like, I think he's got a lot of potential to be a solid playmaker as well. And for him to be like a legit six, eight, you know, two guard that can do all that, especially with the potential to be a good scorer. I think that'd be a great option for the Cavs considering they may not know what they're going to do with um, Karis LeVert in terms of an extension this off season. Yeah. So, Yeah. Uh, drafts about a month away, so we'll be excited to see that. Um, that's obviously really early lottery mocks, mm-hmm. more to be determined. I'm sure we'll have another lottery mock later on down the line, closer to the draft. But we wanted to yeah. give you guys an early one with these lottery results finally. But now, the highly anticipated QA. So, we have had this vision for quite a while just thinking of some ideas for the podcast and obviously we first mentioned it probably about a week ago and we've been really excited for this one um tommy do you know the number of questions that we ended up answering um i did i did not count them i did not count them i didn't either let me find out real quick one two three four five six seven eight nine ten eleven 12, 13, 14, 15. Yeah, 15 total questions. And we really had – we had 16, but uh, spoiler alert, one was a Wizards fan and wanted to know who the Wizards should look at in the draft, and we felt like that was somewhat covered enough in our lottery mock. So, you know, really like 16 questions. So we really do appreciate any of you that sent a question in, and um, we're here to answer them now. So – First question, we, I think we really appreciated this as we're two people that have obviously been passionate about this as we started. But first question was, go in depth on why you guys started the podcast, what it means to you, and where you plan on taking it from here. And, you know, I, I, have, a lot of, I have a lot of notes whenever I make, uh, whenever I prep for our podcast, but I didn't put much for this one. I just simply put answer from the heart. And so for me, you know, the NBA has been a love of mine for I don't even know how long now. I mean, really since I was probably 10, 11 years old. 
and I've always enjoyed keeping up with it. I've always enjoyed watching it. I always feel like I've known a lot, whether it's on the court or off the court in terms of personnel with teams, finding out what teams want to do, being ahead of that curve. And it was just something I wanted to continue talking about every day. And I just thought eventually, why not try to create my own platform for it? And podcasts have become something that I've become a huge fan of listening to, especially specifically in the NBA world. And, you know, there's probably two guys specifically just listening to their shows that really inspired me more than anything else. And that comes from Zach Lowe and JJ Redick. And that's just two guys that, you know, they, they feel like they can say whatever they want on their platform and they feel comfortable enough to just come on and talk basketball whenever and have people on. And it's just like those two specifically are the reason that I had this vision. And so I, you know, that's something that they may never see, but hopefully, hopefully, you know, they know that they're, they're providing a good impact on people that want to maybe jump out and do this like they did. And, you know, where we plan on taking this, I'm not going to go into super deep detail, but we've really reached out and, you know, we've, we obviously, we obviously plan on keeping this up regardless of this and keeping you guys updated on stuff. But, you know, we have some contacts that we've been able to get a hold of that are going to be some really special guests for you guys this summer specifically. And, you know, we'll see where it goes from there. So that's my answer. Tommy, you? Um, so, yeah, I was a different, little different approach when I, when I was approached about the podcast, uh, I wasn't yeah, a part of the original plan, but he had asked me like, or he had told me about it. And I was like, I think I responded. I was like, Oh yeah, I definitely want to get on there at some point and talk some basketball. So, um, I mean, I I always have liked podcasts. I listen to podcasts on my way to work every day. I was like uh, thinking one day before I was even approached, uh, dang, I'd want to be on a podcast. So when um, when Kyle approached me about it, I was definitely excited because I had, was to- wishing I was on it the whole time. But because um, I and I just I enjoy the game of basketball. Basketball is my favorite sport although I played football growing up, um, basketball's always been a big part of my life, but, um, so I, I enjoy watching, I always watch the game, so why not talk about it a little bit, but, um, definitely excited about where, where this podcast is headed, and I, uh, we definitely do have big plans for you guys without going into too much detail, but, um, I don't know, I have a, well, we have a vision, and so we're not going to stop until we get get to that vision and really surpass it. For sure, and you know uh, exactly what you just said there. You know, we're we're both working really hard to do this. I mean, and you know, we're going to give you guys as much as we can going forward. And you know, I I want to jump in and say this, and it's not just because you're on here, but you know, for our listeners, um. I couldn't be any happier that Tommy ended up being my co-host on this podcast just because of the dynamic that I feel like we've been able to have. So, you know, the original vision was a little different, but I couldn't have asked for it to turn out better than it has at this point. Yeah, definitely excited and grateful. So, yeah, we, we thought that that was a perfect question to start out with. Um, but moving along, our second question that we've decided to answer is, who is the most overrated player in the NBA and who is the most underrated player in the NBA right now? 
Tommy, you lead the way. Give me your most overrated player. So, um, I mean, I guess everybody's starting to realize it now, but I, I mean, I've thought this for a little minute now, but my over most overrated player in the NBA is, uh, is Ben Simmons. Um, I just don't, uh, believe he can reach the level that everybody thought he could reach when he was uh, first coming to the league. And he's really just proved it. Um, He really hasn't even attempted to shoot the ball. Um, He plays good defense. Uh, He can't shoot free throws. So, um, yeah, that's definitely my most overrated player. Fair. You know, I'm not going to argue that at all. I really didn't think his direction just because I probably, and I'm, you know, I, I know you were probably with me on this, but probably ahead of the curve of most yeah. on, on the Ben Simmons thing. But to me, I guess I just didn't think about it because he didn't play this year. But mm-hmm. my pick was actually, and you know, I know some people are going to say, oh, he's just saying this because of what happened this year. No, I promise you, Tommy will even back me up on this. This is something I've thought for a while. Chris Paul. Yep. And I, I just, yeah. to me, it's just, not aggressive enough, especially in the past few years. I'm not talking about Chris Paul's career, okay? This is one of the greatest point guards ever. But in in recent history, you know, I, I got tired of all the Chris Paul's the best player on the Suns. You know, and Tommy can back me up here. Tommy, have I not tried to preach Devin Booker is by far the best player on the Suns? Uh, for a while, actually. For, yeah. <laughs> and so I never was a fan of that. All this acting like Chris Paul made the Suns what they were – And then this past playoffs, to me, it's like people are, like, acting like he's above receiving criticism. So I just – I didn't want it to come off the wrong way in saying Chris Paul. I just feel like the national media coddles him. And, honestly, a lot of the casual media does too. Yeah. Um, Fair. Completely fair. Who is your most – underrated player so um my most underrated player is uh i'll I'll take this first uh because i think tommy guessing you know tommy got difficulty right now but my most underrated player is wendell carter jr and you know honestly to me and well, yeah, to me, when this when the trade was made for Wendell Carter Jr. to go to Orlando, I thought from the very jump that it was a win for Chicago, uh, for uh, for Orlando. And I honestly thought it I liked Wendell Carter Jr., but a lot of it was because of that the draft picks that they got with it. But then I've started to realize especially this year I, for some reason, I mean, don't ask me. I'm not watching a bunch of teams in the lower part of the lottery just because it's not useful besides watching guys develop throughout the year. But I was intrigued by the Orlando Magic at certain points in the year, and it was because of Wendell Carter Jr. for the most part because I would watch him and I would be like, you know, this guy's going to be really, really good, and he's probably on one of the better contracts in the entire NBA. And so he's he's in that like twelve to fifteen million range. I don't remember exactly what it is, but it's nothing crazy. And he's just so skilled. He has the ability to shoot it outside already. Very skilled inside. Has a mid range, good footwork. Very skilled offensively and and potential defensively for sure. So 
I think he definitely needs more attention around him. Yeah, completely. I can't argue argue that one right there. So who was yours? So mine was, uh, I mean, and I guess I was ahead of the curve on this one too, but I'm going to go ahead and say it because it, it's going to be, I mean, underrated in some people's mind, but uh, DeJounte Murray um, is mine. So I don't think people realize what he's, what he's doing. Like he's out there sometimes carrying the Spurs to wins, like scoring a whole lot. And I mean, his, it's just because it's the Spurs, his name's not really in the, really in the um, headlines like the other ones are. And he's six, four and he's a guard. So, and has great defense. So, I I like that pick a lot. He's I completely agree. Severely underrated, you know, heck of a defensive player. And the evolution on from his offensive game as the years go on, especially this year, just awesome. So bright, bright future for that guy. Um, next up, we were asked who is the most valued role player to their team? Who did you go with, Tommy? Okay, I'll just go first again. Um, it's all good. I think TK's just maybe dealing with a difficulty or something. But mine was Dorian Finney-Smith. And to me, you know, the the stuff that he provides Dallas and the versatility that he gives them is something that you really would never know if um, if you were not watching Dallas on a consistent basis. And the thing with Dorian Finney-Smith, he's just he's turned into a truly elite defender. And also, he's improved his three point shooting as the years go on, even with higher volume. And he's you know he he had this slashing ability earlier on. But now he's, like, smarter about it, and he's really good at knowing when to attack uh, flybys and knowing when to attack guys scrambling. And he does a really good job of making the right pass off of that or driving strong to the rim. And, you know, another thing that he's done that just makes him so valuable to me is um, he's turned into, like, a real – like a small ball five option if they really need it. It's not an ideal one but he gives them versatility there if they do ever need it. So that was why he was my pick. You? Hopefully we can get Tommy to give his pick here for this one. Okay, we'll move on to the next question. Hopefully he can come back in. Um, the next question that we had was, would Jordan Poole be playing like an all-star caliber player if he was not on the Warriors? Now, this was a tough one for me, and it's because I do I, – I like Jordan Poole. I really do. And so, you know, I – but I also had to be somewhat critical. and. My decision ultimately ended up being, I don't believe so. And, you know, I, I think he's like a smarter and slightly better, like Jordan Clarkson type player. And 
don't take that the wrong way if you don't like Jordan Clarkson. I understand he can be somewhat of a shot chucker at times, and that's not what I'm trying to say whenever I say Poole is close to him. I just mean like that guy that is just has like a bounce to him and he can create for himself and just kind of pulls in some other guys to be able to create for others. And that that's where I think Poole's better than Clarkson, just the, just the ability, his passing ability and his vision. And uh, he's a little better getting to the rim than Clarkson is. But just that type of like shot creation, I, I just don't know if that's necessarily an all-star caliber player if he doesn't have the gravity of like Steph with him. You? Yeah, um, I, I kind of went the same route, but um, so, but Jordan Poole is a, you can tell the way he plays, he's a learner. He really oh, takes yeah. in what's around him. So, um, yeah, like right now, like I'm going to answer this question, like truthfully and honestly, like right now, no, I don't believe if he played on another team, he'd be playing like an all-star caliber player. But if he has like one or two more years learning under Steph and Clay and all those good, all those guys, I think absolutely he can be. Yeah, and I, I'm glad that you said that because I should have mentioned that as well. When I say that, I don't think he is right now. Could he be? Sure. Um, so, Tommy, could you give us your answer to the previous one of who's your most valued role player to their team? Yeah, so, um, I mean, a lot of people aren't going to know this, this guy's name, but um, it was Garrison Matthews for the Rockets. Really? Um, yeah, he, he really I, – I enjoy that role a lot. Um, the, the guy that comes in and knocks down the shot, like the Duncan Robinson a couple of years ago, the uh, Ray Allen, I, I, that's the best role player role in the, in the game to me. See, I – you know, I, I, thought, I thought Matthews came in and kind of shot the ball well, but he's just personally – and, I mean, I'm not going to – I'm not going to, like, Kill you for anything. He, I just wouldn't have thought that route. Yeah, a little unconventional, but that, yeah, that was mine. All right. Um, our next question was, it was a little more than this, but this was the way we decided to word it. Was, is Clay trying to do too much? And I'll let you go first on this one. Yeah. So, um, Clay isn't Clay right now. So. Uh, I think Clay is trying to be Clay, and yeah, I I do think he's doing too much. He um, should have eased into it better, like not tried to play like his older self, like maybe done been like that spot up shooter, and not trying to create as much as he is. I mean, he's doing fine some games, but he's just not gonna hold up if he keeps on. Yeah. I'd my answer was yes, to keep it simple, but he is trying to do too much. You're, you're not the second option on this team anymore. You're, I mean, in terms of best players on the team, you could argue Clay is, might be fifth on this Warriors team right now. Steph, Poole, and some form of Wiggins, Draymond, and then Clay. Do you think that's crazy? Oh, not at all. I think he's just trying to force it too much. It comes with a lot of turnovers, a lot of missed shots. You know, maybe he can get to the clay we know next year, year after, but it's not been there this year. And, you know, they've they've been okay to this point, obviously, coming out of winning two series and having a great 
game one of the Western Commerce Finals. But I think that has to be figured out at some point because if you go play a Boston team, for instance, if they were to make it out of the East, that's going to be tough if Clay is still playing like this. Um, next question. As well as Golden State has played, it's clear that good post players have given them fits. With the continued uncertainty of James Wiseman, who is a big that you think they could or should target in the offseason? Now, I have five names down here. I didn't do hypothetical trades for it because just being five guys. But these are guys that I think could be realistic targets this offseason and I think would all benefit the Golden State Warriors really well. My list was Chris Boucher from Toronto, Clint Capella from Atlanta, Miles Turner from Indiana, Rudy Gobert from Utah, and Christian Wood from Houston. That's not, not a bad list at all. Who did you come up with? I had uh, three guys in it was really based off of like this this playoffs, but they need to look at trying to get Kevon Looney back. Um, I think he's a an asset to them, and he's he's only going to get better. He's only going to get better. I like that answer. Just simply saying, stick with Looney. I like that. Mm-hmm. Um, then I had Boucher on there as well. He's, I mean, I've been following him ever since the G League. He won the MVP in that. So he's just – I think he's going to do really big things. And then I don't know if he's really a big man or not, but he really fits what what they do, but Kyle Anderson. That would be interesting. Yeah. Slow-mo. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, I think that the guys that I mentioned would all complement them really well defensively as well as besides uh, Clint, I think Clint and Rudy would compliment them so well defensively that mm-hmm. it wouldn't matter as much on the offensive end, but being able to add a Miles Turner or a Boucher or Christian Wood would be a, a, definitely a great boost on both ends as well as more size and rebounding down there. Yeah. Um, so yeah, our next question was what determines the MVP? And they asked specifically, is it impact on team or individually? So I'll let you take this one. Um, so I'm not, I mean, it's definitely, I mean, it's definitely factors of both of them. Um, yeah, agreed. I, I think that some, like you have to make your team better, but you also have to have those standout moments uh, and really show that you deserve the MVP. And so, I mean, I'm a guess, if I have to lean towards one more, it's impact on team, but um, definitely both. Yeah, I my answer that I came up with was that, first off, there's truly no criteria for the MVP, but I think that's a good thing. And it's it like you said, it is both with a fair mix. And the award is never truly voted on based on the actual word valuable, and I like that. I mean, I just think that the, the MVP is just – good thing for it you like I know it says most valuable player but that's not really what it is and I'm fine with that it's really like the best season and that helps with parity within the award 
And so I, I like it that way. Um, but yeah, I, that, that's my best way to describe it. It's really like who has the best season that includes their individual success and how they stand out alongside team success. Yeah. All right. Um, it's a tough award though, obviously every single year. And then the same person that actually asked that question asked us, should LeBron James have more MVPs? I started out with, I don't believe so. And it's not a knock. I mean, the guy's won four MVPs and has been like in that top three, top five of Lord knows how many. So like, it's not like I've always viewed it like this. You don't need to look at MVPs as much as you need to look at how many years were they an MVP caliber player. Do you think that's fair? Yeah, that, that's, yeah, that's fair. That's definitely fair. Just because there could be years where guys have crazy seasons and a guy could finish second or third. Like, for instance, Giannis is going to be third this year. Giannis may be the best player in the NBA right now. So mm-hmm. that's not some knock just because he didn't win the MVP this year. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, you know, in, but I wanted to go through. In 2011, Derrick Rose won. Deservedly. 2014. Kevin Durant won. Deservedly. 2015-2016. Steph got a unanimous MVP, and Steph won another MVP by a long shot. And I also want to mention that 2011 with Derrick Rose, there was no other, like, all-star scoring option or anything. Derrick Rose, that team was first in the East, and um, he had, like, 25-8-4 and four averages. It was awesome. Um, and, you know – Sometimes it matters who you're playing with, too. And it's, again, not a knock. But, like, when LeBron's playing with the big three Heat team and Derrick Rose is playing with a team that's not even comparable talent-wise there and he's a higher seed overall with his team, that matters. Kevin Durant, 2014, won the scoring title. OKC was, like, a 59-60 win team. Um, I thought thought that that was one of Kevin Durant's best years, if not his best year in the regular season. Um, Obviously, the Steph MVPs, there's no arguing those. Agreed. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, Westbrook, although I don't think he should have won it in 2017, um, I was more of a believer of Kawhi and Harden as well over Westbrook. But those three, maybe not Westbrook. I don't like LeBron's 2017 years. Team success wasn't anything wild. Um, but you know, I thought all three of those guys probably deserved to be over him. And Harden won it in 2018. I was a firm believer that one was correct. LeBron finished second. Um, you know, there's no arguing hard in what he did that year. Mm-hmm. I remember whenever they tried to spark conversation towards the end of the season, but Harden ended up winning the award by pretty good margin, as he should have. And then Giannis in 2019 and 2020 won back-to-back MVPs. Again, deservedly. Yeah. I don't think there's any arguing there. So your answer do you think LeBron should have more MVPs? So, uh, yeah, uh, you went uh, you went forward in time. I'm going to go backwards in time a little bit. Um, I'm just going to go to that. I think he should have one more, and it was just that 2006. I mean, you can't really deny what Steve Nash was to the Suns. He was that piece. I mean, he, they had the best offense by far. But um, you really can't deny what LeBron James did that year either. So I'm I'm I am gonna go with 2006 just because um, I mean if you're basing it off of um, what we 
based off this today. I mean, Devin Booker or would have been higher in contention for the MVP, but. Well, I think that that like, to an extent, because I have heard that argument for Booker, but also you can't really look at it like that because you have to look at it within the given year. Not too often, there's years where you could plug Booker in and he wins it, but there's also in those years, not three guys doing what Jokic and Beat and Giannis just did this year. Yeah, and that's where I'm getting at. That's what LeBron did that year. Okay. He, I mean, he almost averaged. I mean, he's 31 points, seven rebounds, six assists, and he was damn good at leading. I mean, he had one of the worst rosters in the league. That was. That may have been a. Uh, I didn't. I didn't go back and look at that one. Although I've seen the argument for that one before. Mm-hmm. Um, do you know where they were at seating wise in that one? Uh, gonna look real quick. Gotcha. Okay, so they did win fifty games. Um, you know, I guess you could. I've seen people argue LeBron for that one. I've seen people argue Kobe for that one. I, I don't have any issue with Nash necessarily winning those back-to-back MVPs. Mm-hmm. I gotcha. Um, I just think. I think the way that he ran that team's offense was probably was, was more beyond the numbers thing. And he still was, you know, putting up decent scoring numbers on great efficiency while having a ridiculous and super high assist to turnover. And I was, I was mistaken. Uh, the Spurs had the best record that year. Okay. But – well, yeah. Pistons, my, my bad, my bad. Yeah, I gotcha. So, you know, maybe one more in there somewhere. Yeah. I don't think it's crazy to say that. For like, I don't think it's, I don't think it's robbery that LeBron has four MVPs. I'll put it that way. Yeah. Um, then we had another question that said, "Should there be a best player award?" Your answer. I'm gonna I'm gonna go with uh, no because I mean, with uh, I don't think there should be any more awards after. I mean, I think we have enough, and they just added two more. I I believe we do too, but my answer to this was no because it would get very bland. I mean, yeah. Think about think about how many times, like, like nobody would care if Michael Jordan won the best player award. Who knows how many years in a row? Nobody would care if LeBron James won that award. Who knows how many years in a row? Or, you know, Kobe winning it a few years in a row. It would get old, is what I'm trying to say. Whereas, like, the awards that we really have right now have legit parity to them. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, yeah. my, my, yeah, quick answer, my quick answer was no to that one. Now, question that we had going forward was, does Luca's style of play win, and can he play with another all-star? So, yes, it 100% wins. And he obviously has the potential to be the best player in the world for a long time. And, you know, the, I feel like the big argument is people are going to go straight to his usage rate. Well, let me just kind of propose this argument to you guys. 
yes, I know Luca has had some of the highest usage rates of all time. What do you think the Dallas Mavericks offense would be like if we were if the ball was not in Luca's hands as much as it is without with the lack of all-star talent around him? It wouldn't be as good. You have to play to your strengths. And the strengths for the Dallas Mavericks offense is putting the ball in this dude's hands. I promise you, when the day comes where an all-star caliber player that can handle the ball and be a secondary facilitator is alongside him, it is going to unlock a whole other level, not only for Luka, but for that player as well and for his team. So I just don't want people to view it as, oh, he just has the ball in his hand so much. I beg you, there's obviously no way to, to, to just show it to you in front. I promise you have no idea what the Mavericks offense would look like if he had the ball in his hands 10% less. What was your answer to this, to these questions? Yeah, I, absolutely. Um, so Luca, I don't know if, if everyone realizes it's like me and me and Kyle do, but Luca makes his teammates so much better. It, like, Oh yeah. And I mean, I don't think anybody would deny that. Yeah. And this, I mean, the way he plays, if you, if you put another all-star into that, I mean, that's really scary. That's honestly really scary. In the day that it happens, it's going to be. Just, I just think it's so unfair to sit there and say, oh, well, he just has the ball in his hands a lot, and some other guys just stand there. Like, bro, no way you really think that, like, Reggie Bullock, Dorian Finney-Smith, um, Maxi Kleba, Davis Bertans, um, Dwight Powell, that they should all just be getting involved with the ball more. Like, come on, man. I know Jalen Brunson's really good. He's been able to get the ball in his hands more. This isn't some 25-point-per-game scorer. You know, you know, I mean, you know what I mean? Like, and, and Dinwiddie's been able to help, too, in that sense. Now, do I think Luka is capable of leading a championship team without having a like real deal all-star. Yeah, I do. I think he's that good. And that takes, that's going to take some sharpening around the edges to this roster, like finding a replacement for Powell, you know, maybe, maybe you get another, another real three and D wing. Like there's, there's sharpening around the edges to be done, but I think it's doable. But I really just – I promise, just you guys are just going to have to trust me on this. Like, for instance, in this offseason, Zach Levine is an unrestricted free agent. You guys have no idea what this Dallas Mavericks offense would be like if Zach Levine is on this team. Good luck. Good <laughs> luck to the rest of the league. So, I just want to touch on that. I feel like it's so unfair to sit there and act like Luka could not play championship-style basketball. Because he is right now, it just it would translate, and you would see it even more if an all star was there. Yep. So yeah, I feel like that's enough on that question. Um, I want you to lead this next question off. They said, with certain guys slowing down and getting injured more, are guys like Tatum, Luca, Ja, etc., starting to really take over the league? Is this like the the official passing of the torch? So. Um... 
this was another like yes and and no answer um so i mean are these people are these guys gonna be really good players in the league yeah i mean but there are i mean some of these older guys that aren't gonna go aren't going anywhere um kevin Durant's not going anywhere Kyrie evans not going anywhere um you know so i'm just gonna i'm gonna go with no just because of the fact, like, I mean, Anthony Davis, he's hurt a lot, but he's not going anywhere for a while, and it's not going anywhere for all the time. So that's just where I'm getting at. Um, I'm going to go with uh, they're going to be good in the league, but it's not the pass move towards these that the old guys still kind of rule again. So my answer was I believe it is to an extent, and I labeled this in three different ways. So you've got the generation of superstars that we've kind of grown up to know. And it's Kevin Durant, obviously, Steph Curry, Kawhi Leonard, James Harden. I know he's regressed a little bit, but that's a superstar that we've grown up with. And LeBron James and Damian Lillard. And you've got this new generation and the guys, in my opinion, that have all kind of shown. I'm not not talking about like rookies and second-year players and stuff, unless they're just that good, but like – Jason Tatum, Trey Young, Devin Booker, John Morant, Luka Doncic, and uh, Donovan Mitchell. But it, then you've also got some guys that kind of fall in the middle of both, and I wanted to include Jimmy Butler, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Joel Embiid, and Nikola Jokic. And so I just think that the talent pool and the, the amount of superstars is probably as high as it's ever been in terms of guys that you could sit there and say he could he could potentially be the best team the best player on a championship team. Um so I don't think it's necessarily the passing of the torch, but I do think that it's in the it's in the process of becoming that because our friend that asked this question that included Tatum, Luca and Josh specifically, those guys are at a point where they're going to be competing for championships right now. And two of them are still there right now of the four remaining teams left so you know i i like i said i think it is to an extent but i think so many of those guys are still there and those guys in the middle are still if not just now hitting their prime in their prime so yeah i that that was a hard one for me to answer yeah me as well um but that that was my take on it now I want to lead this one off because I'm very passionate about it and I feel like it gets taken so out of context. So the question was, why do the Grizzlies seem to actually be a better team without jaw? They were 20 and five in the regular season without him. And this guy submitted this question after the blowout in game five. And he said, and blew out the Warriors in game five. Obviously he is their best player but there's a huge sample size of games he's missed and they have been really good. So I want to propose it to you all this way. First off, I want to give all the credit in the world to Taylor Jenkins and everyone on that team that's not named John Morant because they are great. They're all great at what they do. I want to give credit specifically to Tyus Jones. He has become a starting caliber point guard in this league. He has a chance to get some money this offseason, and I would love to see him, like we said in the previous pod, to be a starting point guard come next season. 
Desmond Bain also deserves a ton of credit because of his development already and jump from year one to year two. And a lot of that he credits to Coach Jenkins because Coach Jenkins wanted him to play summer league last year. And he says when he first heard that, he was like, why? I was a key part of our team in the regular season. We made the playoffs. I played in the playoffs. Why am I playing summer league? But Coach Jenkins had this vision for him to be this secondary ball handler. And it paid huge dividends because so. And so, you know, that credit. But when you really dive into this in the regular season and in the playoffs, you start to realize why they maybe were so successful. 11 of the 20 wins in the regular season. And I, I want to reiterate this when I say this. I'm taking no credit away from the Memphis Grizzlies. I love watching the Memphis Grizzlies. John Morant is one of my favorite players in the league. And I love guys like Bain. I actually do kind of like Dylan Brooks. Um, like, obviously, who doesn't root for Steven Adams? That guy's awesome. I'm a big Jaron Jackson Jr. guy. So, you know, I, I like this team a lot. I like watching them. I think Taylor Jenkins is a great coach. So this is no disrespect. I'm just simply giving you the context. 11 of the 20 wins came against teams that did not make the playoffs. Four of the wins out of those nine that were teams that were in the playoffs included Dallas early in the year without Luka Doncic, the Heat with no Bam Adebayo, and Jimmy got hurt in the third quarter, pre-hardened trade 76ers, and Joel Embiid was not playing either, and a Warriors team that did not have Steph, Clay, or Draymond. So 15 of those wins of the 20 came from teams that did not make the playoffs or with those circumstances that I just gave you. Again, very impressive. It is not easy to win NBA games. But that stuff matters if you're going to sit here and have a conversation about are they better with John Morant because they clearly are better with John Morant. And another thing I want to say there is without John Morant, the Grizzlies don't have – that dynamic bucket getter that can just create anything for himself or others. And it really, really showed in their losses without him in games four and game six, because in game four, they were in control the whole entire game and lost in the last few minutes in game six. They, uh, you know, they were kind of going toe to toe with golden state and golden state pulled away towards the end. Did not, and the playoffs are just a completely different beast. And without that superstar, you can only go so far. And the, um, you know, some other examples I wanted to bring out: the 2019 Raptors without Kawhi Leonard were 17 and five. That's great. No one in their right mind would say that that team was better without Kawhi Leonard, who won a championship that year in a Finals MVP. The 1993 and 1994 Chicago Bulls won 57 games the year prior. Michael Jordan retired to play baseball. They won 55 games that year. They were awesome. They had the same exact roster, but without Michael Jordan. They had the greatest coach of all time, Phil Jackson, at the helm. But when you lose that type of play, I'm not saying John Morant's Michael Jordan, so if you're overreacting over that, don't. I'm just saying a superstar. They lost in the second round to the Knicks. A second-round exit was never a thing with Michael Jordan in his prime. Um, now, 
for context of the playoffs, yes, they were one and two in games against the Warriors with Jaw. They were also one and two in games without Jaw against the Warriors. But they did not have Steven Adams in the first three games, as we've discussed on the podcast. He was clearly a series changer in terms of how the games were going. Okay. Dylan Brooks, who is a high usage rate player alongside Jaw, was not in games two or three because he was ejected early, early, one of the first plays in game two, and was suspended in game three as well because of that. The Grizzlies were, quite honestly, a clay dagger three and a jaw missed layup away from probably being up 2-0 in that series, even without Dylan Brooks in a game and without Steven Adams, who was a clear series shifter. That is pretty much everything I have to say. I feel like I've done enough to back it up. To simply put it to you, this team is nowhere near better without jaw than they are with jaw. Mm-hmm. And I completely, I completely agree with you 100%. Um, I couldn't have said any of that any better myself. Um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, Jai is just, I don't know. You don't realize how, like, you could be good. You could be 25 without Jai. Um, but like you said, what is the caliber of opponent that you're, you're facing? And, um, like, you can be that good, but Jai is that good and he's that guy at the end of the game that can take that shot. You can clearly tell by watching Ja. Um, this is where I think some people get confused. They think he he plays like Westbrook. But if you think that Ja plays like Westbrook, you don't watch basketball. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, you can just tell the IQ that Ja has for the game. And he knows how to use his skills just just perfectly. So the 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 jaw Westbrook comparison is so lazy. And it's a lazy comparison, and the only reason people have ever said it is because they're explosive point guards that attack the rim. There's a difference to Ja. Ja Morant is not some turnover-prone, throw-the-ball-away guy. Ja Morant doesn't take headache shots. Ja Morant has a beautiful floater game. Russell Westbrook has never had some type of floater game. Floater game. And Ja has the – like, he doesn't have a – dumbfounded confidence to take threes and he's progressed as a shooter as well and you know Westbrook takes a high volume of threes and he's not a three-point shooter Ja is smart about his three-point selection and he's just a way better and smarter facilitator as well and it's clearly been shown that others can be involved around Ja Morant I'm not saying others couldn't be involved around Westbrook because you've seen guys like Kevin Durant, Paul George, Bradley Beal all succeed in the regular season alongside him but you see in the postseason how it can tend to struggle at times. Whereas, you know, Ja, he hasn't had that type of player yet that Russ has had, but would easily translate alongside him. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I was – that one was the one I was most passionate about because of how mm-hmm. I feel about Ja. Obviously, I went very in-depth about it, but um, I felt the need to because I think that's a topic that really does need to be discussed um, in the NBA community as a whole. Um, Two more questions for you guys. Um, This one, I want you to give your answer first. I I honestly didn't have a long answer for it. But do you feel like the current state of the NBA is getting too performative? 
and what do you think they can do to make it more about the game going forward? Some of it seems like the players do stuff for attention and for their brand slash persona more than just focusing on the game. All right. So, I mean, um, it's really kind of always been like that. This is Dennis Rodman was a thing. Allen Iverson happened. So, um, I mean, just let them, I mean, it's going to happen anyway. So you just got, you got to let it happen. Yeah. My answer was just very simple. It's a business. It's an entertainment industry. You know, it is basketball. It's a sport we love, but that's part of it too, is generating revenue. And some people aren't going to do it. Like Kawhi Leonard's my favorite player. He's never going to be the type of guy who can end all of that. But for the most part, I think it has to be that type of league to continue to draw viewership because you do have to draw a large casual audience. And so I just think that's just a part of it and what comes with it. Yep. And probably any professional sport. So I liked the question, you know, I, I liked it being brought up. I just think it's, it's one of those things like it, whether it annoys you or not, it has to be there to continue to draw the viewership. Um, and last question, because I liked this one, because I actually came up with some hypotheticals towards it, because I'm a maniac that will go on ESPN trade machine and sit there for an hour and, and be on there. But uh, this question was, as a diehard Laker fan, how do we get out of this mess? Is there any hope what moves can or should be made? or could the Lakers make? I'm going to say this first before I get into my hypothetical trades, and I want Tommy to speak on it before I get into my hypotheticals as well, because I want to just go over them with him. He does not know what my hypothetical trades are, uh, if you're wondering. We, we discuss outlines and stuff beforehand, but we don't know each other's stuff going into it. Yep. So um, I believe it will be hard to trade Westbrook, and very hard. And – THT, because I'll put it this way, I don't think they're trading LeBron or ADR. Like, I think those two are there. THT has little to no value. And, but I still believe that there are some realistic outlets or potential offers out there to get Westbrook out because of the expiring deal. But they are going to have to be willing to let go of the two first round picks. And I know that some of you are going to say, oh, I easily do that. But it's a lot more complex than that. And when I've made these trades, I've done that. When I've set up these trades, I've done that assuming that they're willing to give these up. But I also want to, you know, say here that I completely understand if they're not willing to give up these picks. So some things you have to take into account. Under no circumstance are you guaranteed to be better than you are right now by making this trade or a trade. At the same time, LeBron and AD are starting to get older and be a little bit more injury prone. That's something that matters. And if you make this trade and give up your only first round picks that you have access to for the next like seven, eight years, you really put yourself in a tough hole, you know, five, six years down the line. Um, Cause odds are those guys aren't going to be there. Whereas your team as a whole, you're not getting draft picks. So that just puts you in a huge, huge hole if you do that. So 
you have to really be cautious here and ask yourself if you make this trade with these picks, do you really improve to be a potential title contender? So Tommy, what were your thoughts to that question before I get into these hypothetical trade offers? <laughs> okay. Um, are my thoughts on that? Or do you want me to give my like thoughts on the whole question? Uh, just the question as a whole, not just uh, once you discuss it, then we can get into some of my trade offers. Okay. So, um, in short, I'm a, I mean, there's, there's no way that you're probably gonna get out of this mess. Um, but I mean, there, I mean, there is a little bit of hope. Um, so I, I had actually three possible ways to, to fix fix like oh so you've got i didn't get what you were trying to say so yeah. you have hypothetical scenarios as well yeah 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 okay so let's do this i'll give one you tell me how you feel about it and you give one and we can bounce back because i have three and you have three right yeah yeah okay. i'll give you my first one first this one involves the lakers and the pacers and i know that this is the one that people have probably seen but it is russell westbrook Taylor Horton Tucker, both the available picks, which is the 2027 first and the 2029 first. And this would be the Pacers sending Malcolm Brogdon and Buddy Heald. And for our listeners, you might be kind of asking, why would the Pacers do this? Well, it's pretty simple, actually. If the Pacers do end up with a Jaden Ivey or a Shaden Sharp, they're not going to want Malcolm Brogdon playing where Tyrese Halliburton and one of those two guys could be getting minutes together and improving together as a backcourt in a rebuild scenario. Same thing with Buddy Heald. So that would also get a lot of money off their books because they would be able to get Westbrook on the expiring deal. They'd probably either buy him out or look to three-team him or get him somewhere else. He would not actually be used on this roster. So they would get that $44 million off their books going into the next offseason, which for a small market team is great because you want to be able to pay players that you draft. You're not always going to be looking in free agency. So that would be great for them, and it would give them more cap flexibility, and it would also give them two first-round picks that they would love to have. Small market teams are always going to love having first-round picks. So that's why I think the deal is actually solid. It especially helps that the Pacers are looking to probably have a guard here at pick number six. Gotcha. Gotcha. I like that. I, so yeah, that, yeah, I like that. Um, but um, mine is are a little bit different. So like, I didn't have like a, like an actual outcome to the scenario, but I just had three trade scenarios and, okay. and it's like the only three ways that you could ever fix the Lakers. Okay. So um, my first one is uh, kind of along the same lines is uh a trade in Russell Westbrook and uh, THT to um, and and pairing that pick with it to really just see if anyone bites or just like offers anything yeah. at all. So that that was that was my number one. It's just uh, pairing pairing that together and seeing if anything anything happens with that. Anyone bites at it? Yeah, and I mean I understand that. Like you could get off of the worst the two bad contracts on your team mm -hmm. and attach a first round pick to it and just, just see what's available. I mean, I'm all for that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my next deal 
involves the Lakers and the Thunder. And this one is not necessarily to get anything from the Thunder. I mean, they would get something back, but it's really this one is banking on a Zach Levine or a Bradley Beal just pretty much saying, I want to be in L.A. And it's in unrestricted free agency. And along with the Thunder not getting DeAndre Ayton, for instance, or someone on that type of deal uh, in in free agency. Um, so this would be Russell Westbrook, the 2027, or the 2029 first-round pick, not both of them, just one. And it would give – the Thunder would give Derek Favors and Mike Muscala. And so that would give them cap flexibility – to be able to sign one of a Levine or Beal in, in unrestricted free agency um, because no team would really be able to do anything if, if Levine or Beal said in unrestricted free agency that I want to be a Laker alongside LeBron and AD. So this would just be able to give the Thunder um, the cap relief uh, a little bit, just a little bit of cap relief because Derek Favors and Muscala – Favors is on like a $10 million contract. I know it expires next season, but still. And um, I think the Thunder would work with Russ for a buyout. And they would only need one first out of that because they're not really – it would just be the Thunder kind of helping out the Lakers to get a Levine or a Beal, and so they would get a first out of it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that one's not bad. That one's not bad either. So, obviously, you know, Sam Presti would do anything for a first-round pick. Yep. <laughs> um, yeah, so what, what was your second scenario? My second one, I mean, and, and I know that you said it wouldn't happen and it's not going to happen, but I'm just saying that yeah, I'm putting this in perspective for whoever asked this. This is, how, this is the only way that it's going to be fixed. Um, so, I, I mean, the next possible scenario would be just trading Anthony Davis for, like, another young star, like, or for a young star or to get younger or even really like draft picks. Um, so if you want to m- maintain LeBron for some years, you want to get the draft. I don't know what draft is Brownie coming out of. You want to get that pick. So you might want to go get some picks, rebuild, and let LeBron play one year with the rebuilt team with Bronny. I mean, but uh, it's getting rid of Anthony Davis for something else. Yeah, and I mean, I don't think that trading Anthony Davis is some terrible idea. I just, like I said, I just don't see it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's not, I mean, it's not going to happen, but yeah, that's the only way that the Lakers are going to be fixed. Because, I mean, whatever they do this offseason, because they're not going to get off of these uh, LeBron or AD, I, I think they're, I mean, not going to get to where they need to, need to go. I mean, they might make the playoffs, but it's still, I mean, yeah. Uh, this this third offer has no chance of happening. But um, this is what happens whenever you sit on NBA trade machine for 45 minutes to an hour and sit there and think about possibilities. <laughs> but um, three-team deal uh, involves the Lakers, the Suns, and the Trailblazers. And um, – this would be assuming that the Suns uh, decide to sign and trade Aiton in restricted free agency this offseason. And it would be kind of like 
assuming that they were able to get some assets back in return for Aiden in restricted agency. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So this deal would be Chris Paul to the Lakers, Damian Lillard, and the Lakers 2029 first round pick to the Phoenix Suns. And this is this is I should have said this. This is also assuming that the Blazers have a complete flop in free agency this offseason. Mm-hmm. Okay. Damian Lillard and the Lakers 2029 first round pick to the Suns. And Russell Westbrook, Cam Johnson, the Lakers 2027 first, three future Phoenix first, and maybe some some of the draft capital from the Aiton deal that they would get as well from Phoenix to Portland. I like that. That I mean, it's not going to happen, but that was that was that's the most interesting one. That's <laughs> for sure. I for sure. I sat there and played with it because I was just thinking about Dame scenarios, and then I was like, "Well, that one could get interesting. It could get really interesting." So yeah, um, yeah. Uh, what was your third one? My third one is also one that has a zero percent chance of happening, but it's the only other way, like the only other way that I could think of out of my three to fix the Lakers, and it would be um, to trade LeBron James. Um, because I mean, you're gonna you're gonna I think get more regular season wins if you I mean get go get another star that's not really as ball dominant as LeBron and I mean Russell Westbrook can I mean has proved that he could play good in the regular season enough to get wins so let him and Anthony Davis and another star run the show. So I'll I'll put it this way: if Russell Westbrook is not off that team. And LeBron James does not sign his one-year extension this offseason. That is 100% in play. Yeah, I really believe so. So it would take both of those things to happen, but I really believe that that would be in play if those two things do occur. Yeah. So yeah, um, I I think I can speak for both of us, and I'll and I'll, I'll let Tommy give his two cents. But the Q and A I think has been something that we've really enjoyed. I think it was really cool idea to do for an episode all of you that sent in a question seriously thank you so much it was something that provided some good content i believe um tommy i think you would agree something we'll definitely do in the future right yeah absolutely i definitely i love diving into all those and well it was just it was a nice dynamic for us to not necessarily and i love what we do on a regular basis but just kind of go away and we just sit back and they give us what we're talking about yeah and they uh, gave all the direction and it was great yeah and so uh yeah this is definitely something that we'll try to do every so often obviously not going to overkill it but uh definitely something neat to do every here and there so yeah um you know we'll we'll be back next week um thanks for tuning in to the coast to coast podcast you know that's it for episode 10 and really do appreciate you guys and you know like i said we will be back next week so thank you guys